If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Koch. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. This is part three in a four-part series about the end times. 
also known in Christianity as eschatology and mental health. As part of early research toward my doctoral dissertation in psychology, I conducted 20 interviews in August of 2019, collecting personal stories about how popular Christian notions of the end times, like the rapture, tribulation, and the Left Behind series, affected people's faith, theology, life trajectories, and their mental health. Last week, we heard two individual stories. Samantha, who grew up in the African-American Pentecostal tradition in New Jersey, spent gobs of money and time preparing for the end of the world after being convinced by a prophecy by self-proclaimed prophetess Mina Lee Grebin that Obama would not leave office before some apocalyptic event rocked the world. Obviously, that didn't happen. We also heard from Steve, a gay man who hoped that the rapture would prevent him from ever having to live out a gay lifestyle. Also didn't happen. But maybe more important to grasping the context of today's episode, I recommend going back two weeks to part one before listening to this part three. In part one, we learned the basics, including what most evangelicals understood would happen in the end times, some of the ways that fear, anxiety, and depression were tied up with it for many people, and much more. This episode is a continuation of part one with clips from 15 out of the 20 total interviews that I conducted. But don't worry, you don't have to keep all those voices straight. Just let the whole thing kind of wash over you. We're going to talk about pre-existing mental health conditions, OCD and religious scrupulosity, getting into therapy, problems around that, and more. But before getting into the explicit mental health stuff, I want to spend some more time with these church communities, these religious leaders, and the theological consequences of this teaching. One final audio note, occasionally I will be putting bleep sounds in like this in between conversations in cases where it isn't clear that I'm now talking to a different person than whoever I was talking to in the previous clip. Something that came up in the interviews almost immediately was a sense that for some but not all, Jesus's imminent return seemed to increase the spiritual authority of pastors and other teachers in the community. So I began asking everybody if that was the case for them. I think that to a point it increases it because they they come off a lot more intelligent than your regular fire and brimstone preacher. It's almost like the end times preachers are more of like a, like your final boss. You kind of got to take on. <laughs> um, are you saying that I, because they're, they're incorporating current events and news and, and they're pulling verses from all over and they're doing math. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly like that. Did the imminence of Christ's return increase his authority as like a spiritual leader in your community? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a normal guy that you could go up and talk to. But when you did, it was like, oh, I'm talking to Pastor so-and-so right now. So I better, like, try to get on his level because he's, you know, a prophet. You know, they never said that, but, you know, that's how everybody looked at him. Yeah, I mean, I needed to to understand what they knew. They've been on this road a lot longer than I did. So I needed to, I mean, they were the ones that had all the information that I need, needed to learn about. Back then, it totally made me feel like, okay, if I could get this person to say that I'm good or to, to um, evaluate me in good standing with the Lord, then I'm probably okay. If that makes Interesting. sense. Interesting. So, so yeah. almost like a, a reliable gatekeeper 
Totally. Yeah. Great way to put it. Yeah. Great and, way the, it. and the purpose of that would be primarily to soothe your own sort of doubts and anxieties yeah. or what? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I still struggle with like putting too much stock in just like, you know, what one person would think or say about me. And yeah, I think especially back then I felt, okay, this is the person that's teaching me all these things. They're the expert. So if they feel good about me, then I can, I can relax. I like, I was giving them like authority uh, by you increase their actual authority it, it, yeah. by coming to them because of this fear. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So Christ's return increases your fear and anxiety. And yeah. since you have increased fear and anxiety, you are giving them I, more power yeah, over you. Totally. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Once a month on Wednesday nights, for whatever reason, my youth pastor thought it was a good idea to have Q and a, and we just, you know, for an hour, hour and a half, just tear through the Bible, no, like no questions off limits. But this one girl was like, hey, like was like, she was asking if the Left Behind books were accurate. He, uh, he said, no, they weren't because after the rapture, you cannot be saved. I started reading around Revelation a bit because I hadn't for a while because I just didn't want to read it. And I found uh, Revelations 24. I remember it saying that those that were, did not have the mark of the beast were be beheaded because of their lack of faith or because of their faith or whatever. You wrote, um, well, you wrote in your email to me that those that did not worship the beast were beheaded because of it. So they basically refused to bow down to the beast to and the antichrist the or whatever. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like they're, they are now martyrs. And so that sounds like they're in yeah. with God because they are refusing Satan basically. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I took it as. And I was like, well, that is it not, is that not what it means? And my youth pastor said that that's not translated correctly. That was regarding other religions. And then he said that was the end of it. And that he would talk to me after the uh, discussion after service. What did he say after? He just said that I need to, he just said that I need to stop asking questions like that because I would be confusing or leading others astray. But yeah, I remember he told my parents that like, you know, if, you know, I was not, you know, if I wanted to come to another Q and A, I was not allowed to ask questions. I was not allowed to. He phrased it weird, like I was not allowed to confront him like that in an open group because it was not appropriate or respectful. And I remember my mom was not as upset as my dad, but my dad was like, "Why are you questioning the Bible? Why are you questioning your faith and all this stuff?" And I was also curious what all the end times teaching said about God's character. How did people view God given this kind of gruesome picture of world events that was about to unfold? For most people I interviewed, it painted God in a broadly speaking negative light, but not for everybody. We'll start with two outlier answers and then move to a few others that were a bit more standard based on what I heard. I don't. With the end time stuff, like the whole concept itself doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me think differently of God or at the root of it all. It's just as what's supposed to happen according to the Bible. My problems that I have when it comes to anything end times related end up now being more with people than it is with God. It sounds like for you, the idea of Jesus coming back soon and maybe even sort of the negativity of the tribulation and the antichrist and all that, it didn't really paint God in a negative picture. Is that right? Right. I don't ever remember 
thinking like, why would God do that? Or, you know, or thinking anything bad about it. It was just, that's what was going to happen. And as long as I'm, as long as I get raptured, I don't really, I don't really care. But you know what? Now that I say that, it, I remember, I always wondered like, does God have like certain people that he knows are going to stay for the tribulation? You know, what if I was one of those people that he was like, I need you to stay and help and fight or whatever, yeah. you know. Like I an wondered. army captain or something. But do but, you think that might have been a way to, and this is speculation here, but might that have been a way to like guard against if you did get left behind that maybe you weren't damned to hell or something? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Definitely. So back then it was just, you know, he's God. He proved his love for me by what he did on the cross. He doesn't owe me anything else. So if this is how he wants to do it, like he's, he's God, he can do it. Um, so you kind of leaned into the sovereignty of God. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, don't, don't piss him off. Yeah. What about his character? God's character. Yeah. I, I mean, back then, um, I didn't call it into question. I would try to justify like why he was righteous in this or why his character would be beyond question. Would you have thought of God as like loving, forgiving, sort of steadfast in love? Probably only because I was told that that's what he was despite, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah, um, how temperamental he seemed to be. Being a Christian was like a chore list of chores or like be this way. Otherwise you'll be punished. And I kind of saw, I guess, the the whole tribulation situation as like the great punishment, <laughs> if uh, you had to call it anything. An Old Testament God, uh, they're trying to put the fear of God into you, like, but like, like an actual fear, not like a reverence and awe, but like an actual like, I need to make sure I'm right because this God is not messing around, you know. Terror more than fear. Yes, yeah. Even even up until Bible college, I I, I knew that God was just something up in heaven that may grant us things, maybe not grant us things, but he, he, I didn't see him as anything yet. But then and as soon as something, as soon as he sees whatever needs to happen down here for the rapture to happen, that's when he's going to get in, you know, get off his throne, wake up and kind of start, start kicking some butt down here. I mean, I was taught that, you know, God was ashamed of humanity and he was angry that we, you know, everything up because, you know, and et cetera. And that he was just angry at us, and he wanted to destroy it and recreate it. And in doing so, you know, people have to be left behind because they gave up on God or they did not give God a chance, et cetera, et cetera. I viewed God as, you know, angry and judgmental and just not happy with me or happy with humanity. This vision of God kind of looks like a jerk. But at the time, my understanding of God is just like, you know, them's the rules. Like, that's just the way it is. And if I don't like it, that's too bad. God is right. God is a good God. Like, I believed that every bit of myself. So the person here that's bad must be me. Why were you convinced that God was good? My father went to prison in my childhood, around when I was in, like, second grade or something. And in in my narrative and the way I understood it, it was like, I mean, just a week before or the week of that happened, I got the gift of speaking in tongues or a prayer language or that sort of thing. And so what I was told and then completely bought into and believed was that God gave me that gift so that I could I could feel peace, feel God's love, that sort of thing. 
my father was kind of an authoritative figure in my life. So in, in fact, that was the view that I took on God. So he was this authority in my life and I didn't see a lot of love there. Um, so I didn't see God as love. I, I almost at times saw him as a kid on an anthill burning me with a magnifying glass to that, to that level of authority. So laying down the rules, telling me what I could and couldn't do and just uber like punishment focus. So he just couldn't wait to punish me for the bad things that I did. How serious of an obstacle has this end time stuff been for you? I mean, it sounds like it's baked into the very fabric from the beginning. It is. It is. And every time I think that I've dug deep enough that I've gotten rid of all, you know, gotten it all out and that, you know, I can just move on and, and just try to build I'll find something else. It'll, it'll, something else will happen. And I'm like, well, there's more of it. And it's like this weed that continues to grow. And as much as I'm influenced still by my family, even though I'm not as influenced as I was, they still have an influence on my life. I love my mother very much. And I love my grandmother very much still. And they have a, they have an influence still, and that'll always be there. And it's just a constant, you know, trimming those weeds and, and trying to, to move on and focus on positive things. I don't know. I think I might have been like 12 or 13 and like um, dealing with the depression, but not having a word for it Um, at that time. I was like, man, I'm just really sad and angry. And so I'm going to listen to Slipknot, (laughs) you know, and but then feel convicted for it. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I often would go to bed. I remember going to bed and like essentially crying myself to sleep, being worried either a if I did something wrong today, like, God, forgive me, don't send me to hell. Or, you know, another situation that would happen before bed, like, as I'm going to sleep would be like, being in a real dark place of wanting to kill myself. But as far as I understood, uh, I would go to hell if I did so. And so really, my faith genuinely at that time kept me alive. (laughs) Yeah, which I guess must be a net positive, but still like, sucks in a way i don't know when uh when i would go to sleep <laughs> uh i i remember often having like apocalyptic ish dreams like a couple times i was um with uh, one of my best buddies at the time uh, he and i would go to churches all the time together and and um revivals and whatnot uh, he and i were both in this in this one dream it was actually reoccurring um every now and then uh, we were just in a car, like an old timey truck or something. And like in the distance, there would be like this, like the sky was red and like, like yellow and like fire or whatever. Um, and in the distance, it would look like bombs going off and like our, the truck got blown up in the air. And like, I woke up right before I fell another, I'm in like a store, like buying something. And I see like nuclear bomb, like, or like a mushroom cloud go off in the distance and like, just I see the cloud and I'm like, this is it. God's back. And like in my head, I thought that like in my sleep and then I'd wake up and be like, damn, God ain't around. <laughs> You're like, like the tribulation didn't happen. You know, it, it felt so real or whatever. What do you think was the cause of those dreams? If you had to guess, I think a lot of the preaching had to do a lot with it. Just as much exposure as I had. And then at one point was volunteering myself to, be at and and here because of my pull towards art and, and stuff like that i when i hear stories or, or whatever i i paint like a mental picture uh to try to 
make it make the words make sense and visually understand it in times slash just dying in general kept me christian for a long time because of fear of hell yeah it, it in times and hell fear kept me in christianity and i i honestly can't tell you what keeps me now so it got eventually to leaving the church altogether although you did find a way back yes um yes. and my question is how would you describe the relationship between the end times theology unraveling and your eventual leaving of the faith entirely? Well, I mean, it, it had a lot to do with it. That's kind of what started everything unraveling is uh, all of this stuff that I based my entire life on. You know, I, I, I could have completed high school. I could have gone to college and got a degree in something that I like to do, something that would make me, you know, not have to you know, work a crappy job for the rest of my life because no one cares about a Bible college degree. And, and so th that, that was something big for me. I did this because of that. And once that was no longer, then well, what else is no longer? I mean, in some ways, just the my ever-growing, like, depression has led to more apathy to the point of, like, if if I could bring myself to to care more, I would still be terrified of dying and going to hell. But it, it was just so exhausting that it's just easier to just kind of shut out that whole possibility altogether because it's just kind of like, like, I don't know, man, if if God wants to send me to hell, then I guess I guess that's where I'm going to, you know, like that, like just kind of like a resigned, you know, like a res resignation of like, I tried for a long time and it's just like, I don't know, like it didn't change. It didn't get better. And it's just kind of like. I guess if that's what's going to happen, then that's what's going to happen type thing. Almost like a m emotional exhaustion, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Because um, it, 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 I think I came to a re realization of like if 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 my entire Christian faith is based on fear, then then what even is that? Like that's that's not any like that's not what God wants. Like why would I hold on to that? But like in in kind of jettisoning that whole thing, I haven't found something else to grasp onto yet you know have you gotten past that anxiety about not being a good enough christian and you know probably i'll be left behind that kind of stuff i don't know if i have gone past it so much as i've just given up or just like like it might just be like an like a conscious avoidance of it like i said if if i could bring myself to to like care more i think that fear would still like i think that fear will always be there unless i convinced myself to stop believing in hell i think that fear will always be there like i don't think that's necessarily something i can i can escape the best i can do is just try to not think about it i still consider myself christian still with a capital c although uh i just really can't take those or any of those claims seriously whenever somebody actually brings up uh, the end times in, in any line of discussion beyond what is written or even spending so much time uh, focused on uh, Revelation, fo focused on just any prophetic messages in Ezekiel and Isaiah and other places, as opposed to the message of Christ, as opposed to how one can improve uh, the world around them, as opposed to just looking up at the sky waiting uh, while things that are within our control just kind of begin to deteriorate and i think that's honestly what's what initially turned me away from the church uh when i was uh in college just the fact that there were people who 
put so much stock into these theories that what was once fear and dread just turned into very deep resentment of Christianity. Just the thought of a god doing this to five billion other people on the planet, just non-Christians and the like, just casting them into what I believed at one point to be a literal lake of fire. Yeah. To just consign them all to an eternity of pain and uh, shame, uh, all just because uh, they didn't grow up in the right place. They didn't have parents who believed. They didn't have uh, the external circumstances to or privilege to foster a Christian faith. Or uh, So in your own struggles to remain Christian throughout the years, yes, yes. it sounds like this end time stuff played a pretty decent role in that. It, it did. Um, I think the last straw was uh, in a small group. There was a small group leader, not any older than any of us, who uh, just held these small uh, young men's Bible studies, in which uh, he, at one point, made several comments uh, regarding these at the end times, just actually professing to know these numbers, claiming that there was kind of a there was kind of an equation that could be followed, kind Some of like sort Mel of Gibson Bible a, code. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just began to question that. And uh, ultimately, when I asked for specifics, he just went on to say, well, I'm just going by what the Bible said. Uh, at that moment, I knew that what I, if these were the sorts of people who were going to be uh, our, our authorities uh, just on the matter, then I wanted no part of that church. Uh, I think I began to resent God, even though I'd never stopped believing in some way, if that, exi- if that makes sense. I just decided that I resented God, I hated God, and uh, just thought he was this very cold and malicious figure. And that bitterness uh, lasted uh, for a few years after college, uh, when I just realized that there was this massive abscess left where God should have been. So I just started attending church services again, realized that this was something I needed, just but it needed to be reframed. Thankfully, I had people like uh, your dad, uh, and a few authors, uh, Philip Yancey, uh, Josh Ryan Butler, to answer the questions better than anybody in my circles could. So you, you do consider yourself a Christian today? I love Jesus. I believe that he is the truth. I'm a part of a church now, and um, it's actually a, a great – they're actually super focused on mental health, and um, they've been a great resource for me the last year, and, and we love going there. But yeah. I love Jesus. I still believe the core of everything I grew up to believe. I do believe that, you know, Jesus died for our sins. You know, he was the atonement. But I right now, at this time, I think that there are going to be many more people in heaven than we think. I, I, I'm jaded by the us versus them mentality. I hate that that's what Christianity has created. Yeah, I do. I, I consider myself a, a follower, a believer of Jesus. But I, I, I'm, I'm right in the middle of, of this unpacking. And, and as Pete Holmes described, he kind of cleared the room of his faith and, and just emptied out everything and has kind of brought um, everything back piece by piece. And I believe that that's what I'm doing now is just kind of bringing the pieces back. And I, 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 I believe truly that no person on this earth has the ultimate truth. And that's just I, – I believe that that's fact. Like nobody has the ultimate truth, and I don't think we'll know until we're, we're face-to-face with God. So my focus has been on kind of getting myself right from a mental health standpoint because I believe that God has deployed more tools than what's in the Bible. And I, I believe that there's more God around this earth, the natural earth, than people like to admit or people talk about because 
my upbringing almost made me hate, and this sounds so weird, but because of my authoritative upbringing and the way God at end times and like even the rapture and the us versus them, the Christians versus the non-Christians, all of that actually made me hate the earth and the people around it. So it was a very weird dynamic, and that's probably a whole nother podcast episode, but um, it literally made me look negatively on the natural world around me. Um, because it wasn't quote unquote Christian. It wasn't, even though God created it, this was the fallen world and God's going to come back and destroy it. And he's going to destroy all of the, all of you sinners and I'm going to be saved. And it's just a terrible, I, I think that I don't see Jesus in any of that. Um, I, I just don't see Jesus's love in any of that. Another question I asked everybody was, what about that verse where Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour that the Lord's day will happen or that, you know, the end will come, not even the Son of Man, uh, referring to himself? How often was that brought up? And when it was brought up, how was it dealt with? I know that it has been brought up, but I think maybe not as much or not as often as it should be, because if it were, then my grandma wouldn't spend so much time trying to predict it. Not even, you know, the son of man knows the hour. So you need to be ready. You need to be vigilant. You need to keep your eye on the sky. Oh, totally. And then what was the response given to that? Well, it it was even like, we're not giving a specific date or time, you know, letter of the law. Notice we're noticing the seasons and this is what everything's pointing to. So they would say, yeah, technically we're not claiming the 24 hour period. Right. Correct. But here's a calendar of like 20 days or so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. and that's not a problem. That's that's it right there, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yep. So as I mentioned last week, this week's patron-exclusive episode was a conversation with a, a friendly acquaintance of mine named Jim Becker. He is an atheist. He is a gay man raised in Missouri in a fundamentalist family, fundamentalist church, And like a 20 total student fundamentalist church school, which is basically homeschooling, Uh, all the teachers were basically parents or daughters of the head pastor of the church. And he is, of course, as I said, now an atheist, but the way he thinks about God is not exactly what I would have expected uh, given that story. And he and I had a nice, long, uh, almost two hour conversation where I heard that story we talked about what his conception of God is, like what, is, what would God have to be like, and, and so why does that God not exist? We talked about sort of the idea of maybe maybe people should start with like no conception of religion and then only add religion if it makes sense. I pushed back a little bit on that from uh, what we know from cognitive psychology uh, and cognitive science. Uh, we talked about interventionist versus non-interventionist gods or ideas of God. Uh, we talked about evolution of conscious beings, about art, morality, transcendence, and had a good time. Uh, we had a couple drinks. We definitely laughed a bunch. And uh, it's, I think, going to be the beginning of a, sort of a series like this called I Don't Believe in That God, which is going to start out as a patron-only series. And, and we'll see. Maybe from there, it'll make it to the regular show. 
Uh, but that's the most recent episode, and that's for patrons only. You can become a patron. It starts at five bucks a month. Um, but there are also scholarships. If money is really tight right now, if you're in a time in life where you can't afford that, email me at youhavepermissionpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but if you'd like to join, you also get access to the patron-only Facebook group, and that has become a really great uh, resource uh, and community on there. So patreon.com slash dancoke or you have permission pod.com click become a patron all right let's get back to the episode something that psychologists have known for a long time now is that the exact same experience had by people standing right next to each other seeing or hearing or feeling the same thing produces different effects in those two people Two soldiers are running side by side and a mortar goes off in front of them. They have similar bodily injuries, but only one of them ends up with PTSD. What accounts for this? The basic answer is that we have different mental predispositions, emotional predispositions. Our brains are organized differently such that we don't respond identically to identical stimuli. And if we apply this to our current topic, we realize that not everyone who was exposed to this end times teaching had the same reaction to it. In fact, next week, one of the shorter stories we were going to hear by itself separated out from the pack is a friend of mine from college and her twin sister and how they had very different reactions to some super alarmist stuff that they were exposed to when they were quite young. But for today's conversation, I am curious what mental health issues were present before being exposed to this stuff. Uh, or in the case of those for whom it was already sort of in the Christian air that they breathed, as we heard from in, in week one, what other evidence was there of general predispositions toward anxiety, toward depression, toward OCD, etc.? So we're going to hear a little bit of that. And then after that, we'll hear some more stories linking end times teaching and expectation to panic attacks and other mental health symptoms. I had been kind of a depressed kid to begin with, and I've—I mean, I've been diagnosed anxiety and depression since. But looking back, can see kind of where I've always struggled with it. This definitely kind of like played upon the anxiety that I was already struggling with and depression that I had already struggled with. Some things that I distinctly remember would be like coming home from school and you know putting my backpack down, and nobody would be in the house. And like yelling, you know, like, mom, 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 where are you? You know, and thinking like, that's it. Like, I'm totally left behind or even like calling a friend's house. I think, I think one time, like, yeah, call, called my mom wasn't there. Called a friend, friend wasn't there. Like, you know, for just for sure. Like, oh, for two. Like, yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Like I need to start, you know, digging a hole in my backyard <laughs> right now. I know that I had anxiety growing up. I have very, very, very vivid memories, and I have talked to my therapist many a time about all of these crazy memories that I have of very, very memorable panic attacks. As as young as I can remember being like five, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s when I was diagnosed like officially with, with just generalized anxiety disorder. But since then... I also have been diagnosed with PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which also elevates all of my anxiety and my depression. You mentioned that you had the dreams where someone would mark you with 666. Right. But you also had like 
you have times where you sort of feel it ghosting on your yeah, back totally. of your hand or your forehead. Totally. Can you talk uh-huh. about that? Especially through like high school and early twenties, it was all the time when I would, when I have the visions in my head, like I, I just have, I just call it a sensation and it's sort it's like kind of warm and, uh, I don't know what other words to describe it other than that, like a warm sensation that I'll feel on the back of my hand or forehead when I'm like trying to get rid of these thoughts. Yeah. I can't listen to the song hotel California. Why not? Because it's about like, or isn't it about <laughs> like a Satanist movement or some kind of cult or something? Well, maybe. Or one, maybe one right, theory. Right. That could be a theory of it. Right. And I've so, also heard like, it's about the end right. of the sixties. I don't and know. And it just, I don't know. And so it just, it just triggers this crazy anxiety in me and and i feel the sensations like i feel the sensations in my hand and my forehead like whenever that song comes on it drives me insane i was an anxiety ridden kid and i um definitely i I, and i still suffer it today i when i get stressed out i hold all of my stress in my shoulders and my neck and it kind of like makes me short of breath and i've always had that as a kid so i definitely my mental health was I don't want to say not normal, but I, I definitely struggled as a kid, and um, I was definitely a hypochondriac. If anything was wrong with me, I kind of freaked out. So I, I borderline on, you know, like a nervous chihuahua, basically, as a child. Okay, so so before you had the rapture specifically, you had a kind of more generic paranoia about things going very badly in the world, something like that connected to your faith. Absolutely. I still struggle with anxiety to this day as an adult, but I was an anxiety-ridden kid anyways, so telling maybe fifth grade, but it was somewhere between fifth and eighth grade when I was learning all these things, and you know, feed that to a a person that young, and you just do something to their brain, and it, it really affected me. I would lay awake at night just worrying about this stuff, and I struggled from time to time to breathe and, you know, my chest would hurt, but it was, I wouldn't say it's a full blown panic attack, but definitely it was more of a, almost like a GAD, like a general anxiety disorder sort of a thing. If I could self-diagnose. Yeah. So can we call them, um, anxious episodes? Is that a good Absolutely. word? Absolutely. What percentage roughly of your anxious episodes, let's say through high school, do you think were related to religious motivations or, or questions? I would say probably 50% because I tied that in also to like 50% of, of anxious episodes were probably tied to end times religious experience just because I, 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 I am such a people pleaser and I literally the greatest fear in my life is letting someone down. So whenever I let my parents down in any way, shape or form or somebody else in my life, you know, that would, that would absolutely come up and I, I would definitely struggle with that. But that was a, uh, tied to a lot, my religious upbringing, how I was raised, the rules that I had to follow. Um, What's the relationship know, like between the rapture and being a people pleaser? I think it's just the fact that, you know, I, I again, I viewed God as a, a authoritative in my life and I knew he was going to come back and I wanted to make sure that I had my my shirt was ironed. My pants were, were ironed. So not you know, pleasing your quote. parents, pleasing God. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. see. But I see. pleasing God was in my mind, I think equal to pleasing my parents and, and vice versa. Like right. I, I just had to be a good kid. I was, you know, seen, not heard and um, that sort of thing. And I, I just, I had to follow the rules. 
I was always the kid in the group that was like, hey, guys, do you think this is a good idea? Should we really be doing this? Like yeah, that yeah. was my – I was yeah. always that that kid. Once I recognized – it was about four or five years ago I recognized how much anxiety that I really have. Like I just thought that was just the way everybody – got around, you know, and dealt with life. But then I, I realized I dated a girl that had anxiety. I'm like, wait a minute, I, I have that. That's anxiety. You know, so I started reading on it and I'm like, no, I do. Like, so the more that I learn about it and the more that I develop my own coping strategies, it makes life a lot easier. Uh, my, my younger brother, he's 12 years younger than me. I had gotten a divorce and had moved back in with my parents for a little while one thing about my mom is she'll often wake up in the middle of the night with a panic attack. I know it's a panic attack. I recognize it. I understand this, but she thinks that God's trying to tell her something. She thinks that she has sinned and she needs forgiveness or she thinks that something's wrong and she's panicking, can't breathe. And, uh, I, um, I didn't know that my little brother was experiencing this. He was a young, young man. And would have panic attacks and just think like he, I remember he'd be just weeping and crying and shaking, thinking that he wasn't good enough to go to heaven. And every chance that I got, and I know I could never say it in front of my mother. It would be a huge thing, but I would just be like, okay, so think about, think about how much your dad loves you. Think about how much I love you. I'm your brother. You know, there's limits to that. You know, I love you. You know, love you so much. I have this this huge. You know, you're one of my best friends in the world. And I was like, think about that. Now think about God. God is love. God created love. He is love. How much more do you think God loves you than even I or 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 your dad can even even do? You know. So just try to remember that when you you get worried that that God doesn't love you or that God's mad at you. Just think about how much he loves you and know that, you know, like I tried to have those moments with him every chance that I got, you know, when I have a moment alone with him or something. What was the relationship between the anxiety, the depression and the imp- the impending return of Christ, the end times, the tribulation, all that stuff? Like I would I would say it, it probably contributed to the anxiety, that kind of constant like reinforcement of you better repent. Like you, you've got to make sure you're right with God. Is your heart right with God? Because if it's not like going to hell, like you better make sure that you're doing like, it was just, that was kind of like the constant message from the church was just like, and and like, there was no shame over it. It was like, they would be, I'm sure they would have been very open with like, no, no, we're trying to scare you, scare the hell out of you. If what it takes to bring people to the kingdom of Christ is scaring the shit out of them, then do it. Scare, like scare them. Like what? we're just we're trying to build that kingdom. Who cares if they're terrified? Bring them in. You know, growing up, when I would think about you know Jesus coming back, it was like I wished it would happen. You know, like right now. Yeah, you know, I want it. I don't want to wait for it. And the more I would think about it, the more I would be like, oh, you know, it hasn't happened today. So I guess I just gotta keep living this whatever this life is. And it's like I've always kind of been putting life off, like with my head in the clouds. You know what I mean? Why did you want Jesus to come back as soon as possible? Yeah, I mean, I've had anxiety problems just, you know, since I can remember. You know, I remember being a kid and not being able to eat in a restaurant and, you know, because my stomach hurt, because I was nervous. And I think that the thought of Jesus coming back. And all of that being over with, 
you know, like I just want to be in heaven where there's no worries or pain or tears or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So for you, the anxiety, the anxiety was there. And on one level, Jesus returning would put an end to the anxiety. It didn't increase the anxiety. Right, right. The thought of him not coming back right now would is what increased my anxiety. Talk a little bit about like the starting point of, of an anxious or a depressive person, right? So they're, they're bringing that in sort of regardless. And then they're plopped into, let's say, a highly gifts-oriented, highly end times-focused Pentecostal situation. What do you expect would happen to a kid like that? Uh, I think they would experience something that would maybe elevate their emotions a little bit. I think that would make them want to come back. But I think when they would leave and go home and they'd be alone, either in a bad home situation or just by themselves with their own obsessive compulsive thoughts, their bottom is dropping out emotionally. Like they were elevated, but now there's no bottom and they drop back down. I think it, it's a recipe for an unhealthy situation. So I was not raised in this environment at all. And so I, it's really quite alien to me, especially thinking about being a teenager or something in it. So are you saying that the idea is that basically the times you feel closest to God are also the times where like your brain is releasing a lot of chemicals in pretty big dumps. Emotions are running very high. And so if you find yourself not in an emotional high, then you're always looking for God or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's basically what I'm saying. How would you tie that specifically into um, expecting Christ's imminent return or looking for signs in the newspaper and the, you know, in the Middle East news and, and all of that stuff. Because there's a, it's still a matter of immediacy, right? Like everything's immediate to you, like the immediate signs of Christ's return, the immediate presence of God, the immediate, like it's going to happen. I'm going to get to feel this experience all the time now because Christ is right around the corner. Did you ever hear of Left Behind Kids or Teens, I think it was? A number of people have mentioned that they, they read those, yeah. Yes, so I didn't, but my mom is a voracious reader, and so she picked them up and she would tell me about them. Um, and one story of a Christian kid or a kid on the soccer field with his Christian co- or Christian school soccer team, and they're playing, and uh, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of soccer uniforms around him, and he's the only one from his team still there, and him falling on the ground crying. I didn't notice that until later on, until mid-teens when you have like the angst and all that stuff. I didn't – it's that idea of even if you think you're okay, there's a good possibility you're not okay and you're going to be left behind. I finally make it back to my bedroom and my mind wanders. I didn't have a smartphone I don't think yet, so nothing to really distract myself. And I had had worries in the past about – what heaven would be like or what hell or, you know, at these times when you're just trying in that liminal space, when you're trying to go to sleep. Um, So at these moments, I would start to think about left behind. Um, My mind would always keep focusing on that stupid picture of the soccer player on the field. And I'm just like, you're going to be that way. Your friends won't be, you know, they'll be fine. They'll be the ones that are, are, you know, piles of clothes, but you and maybe one or two others will probably be that way. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so I had to make up these like these rules, which I referred to as the list or these kind of conditions like 
don't worry, go to sleep. If it happens, it happens. But you'll know because your mom and your dad are basically the best Christians you know. They'll, they will be raptured if that happens. Um, so I, I would have to tell myself, like, look for them. And if not, you can contact, you know, a couple youth group leaders or whatever. Uh, but that was my coping mechanism. What if it's too good to be true that this, you know, this very, very much more peaceful life that I've seemed to have found, what if I'm wrong? What if that's that's the reason? What if that's evidence of me being wrong? Because I've been taught so much that if it's peaceful, that, you know, the whole thing, if you're not getting, uh, if you're not struggling and if the devil ain't attacking you, then that's how you know you're, you're, you're wrong. And so that thought will arise, like, what if they're right about that? What if I've just become content and I've settled into this worldly life and that's why you know everything seems so good at a personal level i really resonate with that last question or worry or whatever you want to call it it sure feels like i have found more peace and so much of that peace for me anyway has been directly related to prayer But I don't know that I will be able to ever completely silence that anxious part of me that wonders if I've actually got it wrong. Doesn't the devil want you to be comfortable and complacent? That kind of thinking is very hard to extinguish because it feeds specifically on what appear to be good feelings and peaceful feelings. But some people have an even harder time getting rid of particular anxious thoughts, and they often return to repetitive behaviors to pacify their minds. At a certain point, someone with these symptoms might be diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And OCD has a strong correlation with high levels of what is known in the literature as religious scrupulosity, the idea that certain prayers need to be repeated a certain amount of times or said a certain way or else God will not be pleased or forgiveness will not occur, something to that effect. This kind of thing came up a couple of times in these interviews. For me, it kind of manifested itself in more of these like OCD type ways. Okay. To this day, I struggle with it. Like there would be a certain way that I would like need to end my prayers. Like I would have to say the same thing the same time every time. And sometimes I would say it 30, 50, a hundred times before I could like get up and go, go about my day. Man, even up, up into my twenties since junior high, like I would just have this image of like somebody trying to brand six, six, six on me. And I would need to think of the number seven, seven, seven before I thought of the six, six, six or else, you know, I'd be damned all eternity or whatever. Would it be accurate to say you were someone who was going to deal with anxiety and depression no matter what? That's probably in your probably. story. Yes, yeah. Um, and, but the OCD it, yeah. maybe might, might not have come. Correct. Okay. Let's talk about Y2K. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, just, just tell us your story of your grandma and Y2K, New Year's Eve 99. You're eight years old, right? Yeah, yeah, very young. That was I was eight then, but she she this was a very big thing in probably a year, maybe a year and a half before Y two K. I remember it was like the Thanksgiving before, like we were all at at her house for Thanksgiving, and like that's what we did. We all watched this Y two K video um, and talking about it, and I just remember being scared to death. Like I just 
just terrified and just thinking like I may only have like a year, you know, I like having these thoughts. Like I wish I'd have got to go to college. I wish I'd have been able to get married, you know, just at a very young age, just having this overwhelming fear. And, um, and you're six or remember, seven years old at this point, probably seven. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety and, and OCD kind of runs in the family. So I think that it either runs in the family or it's from that because I know like, I don't like my grandmother. So it could just have started with that. This very well could be the cause of this OCD that is in our family. Um, but that's when the obsessive prayer started for me. I was very young and the, you know, make sure you don't miss heaven, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're not going to go to hell. And I, I remember like, like I would say something or I'd tell a lie, like a white lie or something and immediately start obsessively, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me just over and over. And like, I remember thinking how many times, is enough to actually ask for forgiveness, you know, just all the time. Like it was very, like it consumed my thoughts at a very young age. And, uh, I remember 1999, the new year's Eve and just being, we were at my grandma's and just like, just being terrified, just thinking this is it. This is like, you no, know, it's either here we go, you know, just wondering what to expect. And the countdown, they were telling me they're like the countdown's off. Cause we were watching it on TV, you know, and they're like that countdown's off, you know? So they were like, the conversation, like, wonder when it's going to be, like, midnight, which time zone, and like all this stuff. You know, it was just, yeah, it was a scary time, for sure. What? How eventually did everybody come to realize? Oh, it it wasn't going to happen at Y two K. Like, within the day, within a few hours, we were all praying. Like everybody, like grandma's, like you know, everybody pray, just keep praying, and um, we were all sitting there, laying, uh, just some people kneeling, some people on the floor, and everything praying. And it was just, yeah, hours passed by. And then, um, like, I think people were talking about maybe going to sleep, going to bed and stuff. And then it's like, it wasn't really talked about that much after that. Now, I imagine at this point that all of you have thought at some point listening back to these episodes, get some help. See a psychiatrist or a therapist or something. But depending on where you grew up, your family, your church, maybe your Christian school or college, counseling and psychiatry might be looked at with deep suspicion. Especially in high school, it was very like I just had a lot of anxiety because my parents were saying, you know, oh, this anxiety stuff is a heart issue. Like you being in trouble all the time and you getting in trouble is a heart issue. And by that, I mean like a faith issue. Like you don't believe in God. You don't give him 100 percent. I try to take in consideration the time that they were like that they uh, that they lived, you know, like uh, medication was always reserved for the psychos, um, at least mental health uh, medication. Now, if you have high blood pressure, you're diabetic. It's like put me on those pills tomorrow, and it's like no big deal, you know. And then in college, I. I uh, came home after like a semester or two and I told my mom and I said, I, I'm going, I'm going to seek therapy. It's free at my university. And if I, if medication is necessary, I plan on pursuing that. And I was told to pray more. I was told that, are you, or I was asked, am I going to church enough? Another person in my family had told me, be careful, don't get addicted. And I said, well, these aren't even the addictive kind. Uh, they're called SSRIs, and this is what they do, and this is why they work, and this is how they're different from Xanax and muscle relaxers. Like, science has come a lot farther than they 
recognize or know about because everyone knows about high blood pressure meds and and those but mental health isn't talked about as much i think yet in their generation and so and thus a byproduct of that is the medication hasn't been discussed as much either growing up in the like strong christian household it was perceived that like i wasn't trusting god enough and you know i wasn't praying enough uh, i had anorexia as a teenager like it was like you're not eating enough, you know, <laughs> like, like it was never like looked at like, Hey, we should actually get you some sort of like professional help. It's like, you're just not enough of what you're lacking right now, but it all makes sense now. And then to add that to the equation of like my experiences with like understanding what the rapture was and, you know, just other very vivid memories that I have in my mind. I'm like, all of that goes hand in hand with the anxiety that I had that was not diagnosed that could have could have been, but wasn't. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about therapy and sort of the anti-psychological complex in in the type of Christianity you grew up in? Yeah. So I think you had two elements uh, that affected how therapy was viewed. One was the sort of good old boyness of like, you know, when my dad was, would say he was depressed, my grandfather would just put him to work and be like, you're depressed. Well, it's because you have too much time to sit around and just think you need to be working and so you put them to work, you know, and then you start meeting kids who parents put them on Ritalin just because they're really active because they're kids and they're not, their bodies aren't composed in a way to sit for eight hours a day or however long school is. Um, so there's this sort of, I think, working class stigma about mental health and wondering if it's laziness or just needing to work harder or something. And then um, there's the spiritual side where my dad, you know, I grew up my dad with my dad listening to Jimmy Swagger. And Jimmy Swagger was anti anti Christian psychology, and especially any any sort of uh, medicine or pills or any sort of psychiatry was especially looked down on. So I think as I began to try to rectify my mental health, it was sort of this progress of okay, well maybe some talk therapy. All right. Well, maybe some specifically Christian talk therapy. So you have to read everything back to the Bible and you refute lies of truth. I had one counselor talk about how, well, that's just a lie of the devil. You can just rebuke the devil in that moment, which is not good medically therapeutic advice and did not help. You know, talk therapy didn't work for me. Doing theophostics and the whole soul ties, generational curses thing, like all these things that like charismatics do that tries to replace therapy but spiritualizes it. That stuff didn't really end my depression. You know, I tried to exercise, eat all naturally. I tried to pray more, pray habitually, which would give me a really manic high. But then if I stopped or broke routine, I would have a really low, low. And honestly, it wasn't until I got on Lexapro that I finally was able to have a floor that, that didn't drop out from under me. In part one of this podcast series, we talked about a sense of a robbed childhood that some people experienced. But there are also adult consequences, college and job training, planning for marriage, etc. Here are two of those stories. I wasn't motivated to do anything, you know. So, you know, I had the option to go to college before I started started working. You know, I, so I just started a job. I didn't go to college. 
and because I just wanted to work, you know, because I thought in my mindset, it was just like, well, you know, why would I waste time doing all this school, which I hate, you know, I hated school. So I was like, I'm just going to do this job. And, you know, in the back of my mind, it's like, you know, hopefully Jesus will be back by then. I guess anxiety and depression go together, but I, I don't know. It's like I've always felt like this, along with my anxiety, like this sadness that can't be fixed. You know, obviously Jesus coming back would fix that. And, you know, even now, like, I think my anxiety has has really gotten a lot better, but like I still find myself looking up at the clouds and just like feeling sad because I'm here. Just hearing myself say that sounds so like screwed up. I feel myself now trying to let go of the thought of Jesus coming back and really trying to focus on my future and, you know, thinking about going to college and actually doing something instead of whatever I'm doing now, which I feel like is just a complete waste of time. You know, like I feel like I'm going to turn around and be all the old guys at my work, you know, yeah, just like working the granite business, like all these old people for 20 years. And I'm like, I don't want to be that. So I need to get serious and have a future and plan for it. Do you think there's a direct relationship between uh, your lack of career planning, for instance, and expectation that Jesus would return any day? Yeah, yeah, I think that they're very, very connected. I'm not lazy, you know, like I I don't mind working or working hard, to, you know, for whatever I need or want, but it's just the thought, it's always been that Jesus could come back. So why why waste time on trying to build a future? But now yeah. I'm like, okay, hang on a second. I really need to do something about my future. I need to do what I love. You know, I need to play music or I need to cook or I need to do just something that I love and stop thinking that Jesus is going to come back at any minute, which in the back of my mind, he could, but I'm not going to focus on it or worry about it right? or be depressed about it. I'm just going to really try to be happy and just accept life like I'm going to be here. So let me try and synthesize a little bit of what I've heard from you, and you tell me if this is, sounds right or not. Okay. You start off, you are a person who is naturally kind of anxious and depressed Maybe at the same time, maybe alternating, but it's just stuff that you kind of naturally deal with. Right. Then you are told from the beginning that Jesus is coming back soon. You're not going to really have to deal with this anxiety and depression forever because you're not going to live that long. You're going to get to go be a part of this awesome rapture up into heaven and go to heaven. Once you were told that Jesus was coming back soon, you put two and two together that like, oh, so this will solve my, this will solve these negative feelings that I have. Yeah, exactly. But then he doesn't come back. And so then, because you expected him to come back, you didn't do the kind of things in your life that would make it more full of meaning and purpose. And so that increases your anxiety and depression as a young adult. <laughs> right. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Oh, that is really interesting and really sad. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm gonna go jump off a bridge now. No, <laughs> no, no. Now I'm you just get it. Now you get it, and now you can fix that, right? I mean, that's right. or work on exactly. it, or whatever. Yeah. Chuck Smith, uh, the guy who started Calvary Chapel, I, yeah. I, there was a story of him. I think it was uh, the first first Sunday of 1988, because I, I believe that he said, "If Jesus doesn't come back or the rapture doesn't happen by the end of '87, I think it was, 
because uh, that was a generation after 1948 when Israel became a state that he was going to eat his hat. And I believe, and I, I heard the story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard the story that the first Sunday after January of 1988 that he took a chunk out of his hat and chewed it up and did his best to swallow it. And and so, you know, it didn't happen then. And, you know, Chuck Smith, uh, the, the god of Calvary Chapel, said it. Why didn't it happen then? So maybe we needed a generation plus maybe a, a seven-year perfection period. So then maybe it was 1995. And I remember... <laughs> Stupid story. A fr- friend of mine got married purposely before 1995 because he wanted to experience sex before the rapture. I, I, I dropped out of high school when I was a uh, junior in high school and took my high school equivalency exam and started going to Calvary Chapel Bible College because who has time for history and math when the people sitting next to me are going to be left behind and all likelihood go, go to hell. How old were you when you dropped out of high school to, to go to Bible college? Junior year, so 17. 17. And you would say the reason you did that is pretty much straight up because of the end times. That was the reason, yeah. That was the reason. Um, oof, wow. You mentioned in a message to me that today you feel less traumatized and more angry. Can you talk about the anger? Yeah, I mean, the anger, it's, it's anger, it's bitterness, it's resentment. I mean, basically that view put me where I am today. And, and if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, I mean, basically it, it took what could have been and ruined what could have been in my life. Like, like I said, I could, I could have gone to, to, to school and, and did something that would provide me a good living. But instead, we're stuck in the situation we are because it's, you know, like I said, I'm 42 years old and going back to school now that I have uh, two, two kids that need constant attention and a wife that needs to be home and can't work to cover me if I go to school, that she needs to be home with our kids that need that, that special attention. And there's no room for me to go back to school. There's no room for, I mean, like I said, nobody, no, nobody who pays anything decent cares about a, a seminary, a Bible college degree. They care about, you know, everything else that they care about. And, and it makes me angry that I, that that was taught to me, that that was, that I wasn't able to ask questions, that this is just the way it is. And if you're not focused on other people and their eternal state, then, then, you don't love them and, and you're not, you're, you're not being a good Christian. Basically you need to do something for them, whatever it takes, because that's what, you know, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And I wish I would have laid up a lot more treasures on earth, to be honest. Or at least gotten some training to earn treasures on earth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Get that certificate. Right. Man, man, man. Wow. How, how are you actually dealing with that anger and trying to move past it? Well, I mean, honestly, now it's just doing the best you can with what I have. I, I can't go back and change it. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I, I resent I resent the fact that I was fed that stuff. And I resent the fact that I bought into it. I resent the fact that, that that's still being taught. Some of, some of my family members are, are, are pastors and they still kind of kind of preach some of this kind of stuff. And, and it, I resent that, that it's still being taught. I resent the fact that they're probably ruining lives even now. But even though I do have resentment towards it, it's not like I'm waking up every morning and I've got to go to work because I believed in the rapture. You know, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm bummed that it happened and I'm bummed at, at where we are because of it, but you know, just do the best you can and, and just try, try and live the best life of love that you can at this point. Something that I had to ask about just given the state of the world today and our politics and culture war and all that was climate change. A lot of the, quote, signs of the times, unquote, 
that people who are caught up in end times teaching and prediction will point to are in fact weather events. Storms, volcanoes, tsunamis, and earthquakes. Earthquakes are specifically mentioned in the Bible. And one of the main claims of climate science is that as the earth warms, we see increases in both the number and intensity of these events, a pattern that is already showing up in the hurricane data. I actually found less of a standard relationship here than I anticipated finding. Many people never heard anything one way or the other about climate change, either that God was using it as some kind of tool or denying climate change. Some of that might be uh, just age. So perhaps climate change was just not in the discussion as much when people my age were growing up. I'm not really sure, but I did get some answers. And so here is what I found in people's stories as it relates to climate change and end times. Why save this place if it's just going to go to hell after the rapture and then God's going to make it all new in another, was it thousand years or something? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no need for it. What, you know, and, and for, I don't know what the percentage of churches that still preach that or which, which denominations do, but for all those people, I think they don't really care. And, and I wouldn't care either. I know that, you know, 20 years ago, I would not care. Why do anything about climate change? Why worry about it? Why, you know, it's going to all end in a minute anyway. You know, I know the narrative of Jesus is coming back soon. So who cares about the earth? Um, that really wasn't part of our narrative though. You know, the people that taught me about all this end time stuff, like they would use like, oh, you s all this stuff that's going on with the planet is really because the end is near and mm -hmm. God's getting ready to, you know, destroy or, you know, God uses floods or hurricanes or whatever to punish communities for X, Y, and Z. Like, are you talking about that kind of stuff? So weather events were yeah. used as sort of like evidence that it's happening soon. Yeah. that I mean, I was definitely taught those things. I can't think of like a specific connection or even a connection to like the end times. So you never heard people say, well, um, we don't need to do anything about climate change because Jesus is coming right. back any okay. day okay. and the earth yeah. is going to yeah. be oh, burned I, up anyway. Right. I've no, I've totally heard that. True. Totally heard that argument. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, and more of like the earth is for us, you know, that's D how God Dominion intended it. Stuff. So we're, you know, we can do whatever we want anyway. Like that's what God wants. Yeah. So we, even if what's clearly abuse, <laughs> yeah, all God, all God ordained. Oh, it's just signs of the times, you know, just chalking it up to that and that, that just being it. Would they say that God is warming it up because it's, it's part of God's plan towards justice and, and then burning the whole thing? Probably. I mean, maybe in a different way of wording it, but they would probably just say that, you know, these things are happening because God has to allow them to happen to show people that the end of the world is coming, like issues with gun control, like, well, you know, God could stop it, but he's not because it's the end of the world, you know, end times are coming and, you know, he wants people to wake up. So your, your family wouldn't necessarily, they're not necessarily like all in on conservative politics. They're not like all in on the NRA and climate change is a hoax by liberal scientists. They're, they're not. They're not so much saying that. They're saying these are real problems, and of course they're real problems because the end is coming. I think it's probably a mixture of both, honestly. Okay. Like, they're definitely on on board with NRA. Like, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just more of, like, whatever's happening in the world is happening because that's the way it's supposed to happen. And, like, there's no point in trying to change anything because it's just going to happen anyway. There's no point in trying to 
make any sort of political change because like this is the way that God wants it to be kind of thing. Do you believe in the rapture today? It depends on what we mean by rapture. Do I believe in the resurrection of the just and the unjust? Absolutely. Do I believe in some pre-tribulation taking of the righteous who, you know, go up to heaven? Uh, and especially if they're dead, you know, they go up, but then they jump back down to their bodies and are resurrected at the right before the millennium. No, I, I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe in anything that has a way too detailed chart with it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I think in my adult life now, I'd be more receptive to this is what Revelation says, but also this is what Jesus says. So it's like it's a fun abstract thought project, but it's not something I think that religion should necessarily be predicated on. If if I had to guess right now, I don't know that there will be a rapture. I and I think I'm probably jaded because I've heard too many people say, "Oh, this is when the rapture's happening," and it kind of comes and goes. I haven't even gotten to the point where I can unpack it, and I don't believe that it's essential to me. You know, if I'm going to spend eternity with God, I don't even think that end times is going to be key to that. I do not. I believe that the book of Revelation is an encouragement to the early church. Rome sucks. They're going to hurt you. Don't worry. This is a Jesus ethic. He'll always win. Don't worry. If I were to believe in a kind of rapture, I've also learned that kind of an understanding of the rapture where it's not people are being taken away, but people are coming up to meet Jesus and escorting him to earth. I do believe that, you know, Jesus, God is going to, you know, destroy it all and make us whole again and create a new heaven, new earth. I believe in that aspect. When it comes to the rapture, um, I learned in college that that was made up in like 1820, 23 or something by the church to, for whatever reason, that's never actually mentioned in the Bible. Like when it comes to like the seven scrolls or whatever the heck, like sure that might happen. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's again, it's like, what proof do we have that that is going to happen? Are we going to trust John because he was a disciple of Jesus when in reality he was probably starving and insane on alone on an island? Do you currently believe in a future rapture? I don't. I've really tried to find in the Bible where they have kind of come up with that idea, and I can see where they've they've pulled it from, but I don't interpret it that way. I still believe that, you know, what the Bible says is true, but I just kind of put it in my mind that I, I don't want to waste my time waiting for something to happen because that's kind of what my family's been doing. Like, I feel like everything's kind of always been put on hold and that nobody wants to make any changes or look forward to any changes because, you know, we're not going to be here for it anyway. I still believe it'll happen. My opinion on it hasn't changed, but I just decided to kind of shift my focus from like, obsessing over it and like constantly being like, Oh, and it, Jesus is coming, you know, like keep looking up, you know, like, I mean, that's what a lot of my family says like verbatim, like all the time. I, you know, I see stuff that's happening in the news. Like we can't avoid it these days, but as to like where that falls on the biblical timeline of the end times, like I can't keep track of that stuff. It's depressing. Like, as somebody who already has, like, you know, the pre-existing mental illness, it, it makes me feel like it's provoking more anxiety out of me when I don't want that. You would still say that, like, 
yeah, the world is kind of getting worse. 9-11 is one example. And like, it will get it will get worse and eventually Jesus will come back. Some, something along those lines. Yeah, I would say so. Nobody knows like what that'll look like. But I know there's a lot of stuff that's continually going wrong in the world, but I'm not going to obsess over it. That's all I can really do. Yeah. Like, because otherwise it's just going to make my anxiety even worse. <laughs> and then again, I don't read my Bible as much and I don't think about the end as much as I used to at all. You know, I don't read about it in Revelation because the more I read about it and think about it, the more I get excited, you know, and then it's like, why am I even excited? Because it's probably not going to happen. I'm probably just going to live till I'm 80 and then die. You know, so why be why worry about it now? So is there a sense of loss? Like when you were younger, you could believe that you'd get to take part in the rapture. And now you sort of don't believe that so strongly. And that's a real bummer. I mean, there's still part of me that thinks, obviously, that it's possible that I'll be a part of it. And I was always told you know, that you're the generation that, you know, is going to see the Lord come back. And yeah, I don't know how somebody would know that. It's almost just kind of like disappointing because I feel like I'm not going to see that. It's like you were told that you had tickets to the best cosmic (laughs) show of all time, literally of all time, and that you were going to get to take part in that show. And now it's like, oh, maybe I'm not actually going to get to take part in that. Maybe I will. But right. it's not nearly as obvious as it used to be. Right. And and two, now my thinking is like, which I have two kids now and I have a wife and, you know, a house and all the things that I didn't have, you know, when I was younger and was thinking about all this stuff. And it's kind of like, you know, I kind of have something to live for now. Say a little you know? bit more and about I, that. Say more about that. I remember growing up and, you know, I had... Only, I've only had maybe a couple girlfriends, you know, growing up that were serious. And one of them was my wife. You know, I only had one real girlfriend other than this one. And once when me and her broke up, it's, you know, classic teenager emo, you know, like, I don't know. I guess I was depressed. And it was just like, I really, you know, I could just not be here right now. You know, if I died, if I wrecked my car or something and just be away from this anxiety and this worry and this pain and, you know, like a hundred times over, I would rather be in heaven than be on earth. And that's how it was, you know, until I got married and had kids, which now, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, what am I going to teach my kids about all of this? Because I don't want him growing up or my daughter growing up, you know, having the same worry and anxiety that I've had for no reason. What specifically that you understood about the end and Jesus coming and sort of the value of your life and all that. What specifically do you not want to pass on to your kids? I'm still trying to figure that out. It's, it's kind of like a weird line because I was kind of given everything like biblically and yeah. And I was kind of encouraged to take it as far as it would go. You know, don't ask questions kind of thing. And just like, you believe this because this is what we believe I don't want to teach my kids to have like absolute truth because, you know, I just don't feel like anybody has absolute truth. I mean, that's where that's why we have faith. You know, I want to teach them to question more, but still, you know, have like a reverence and a love, you know, and a relationship, but not I don't know, not let it get out of hand and not let all of this, I don't know, churchy stuff get in the way. Mm. 
I, I mean, I still think that it's going to happen at some point. You know, I'm trying to be more open minded to think that it's, you know, I might not be the generation that sees Jesus come back. I'm just kind of like leaving it up in the air now. I'm not like saying that I think this or believe that. Like, if it happens, then it happens, and that's great. But other than that, I'm not going to expect it, you know, or worry about it or really even think about it or read about it. I'm just going to, because I've done done all that. So yeah. I'm just going to let it, just let it be. And if it happens, then it happens. And, you know, I still think and hope, you know, that I'll be taken in the rapture. I don't let myself think that I won't be taken in the rapture because anytime that that does enter my mind, then I get the anxiety that I, you said that most people feel. Would, so, would you prefer to be raptured before you die or live a full life and die naturally in your 80s or something like that? I mean, honestly, I, I think I would rather be raptured than live a full life. Like, I, if I could choose right now, I would say, yeah, I would rather be raptured, like right now, other than living a long life. Why? Well, if heaven is real, you know, I'll. I want to be there more than I want to be here. Does that so, relate? Do you think that that relates at all to the fact that you still deal some with anxiety and depression and sort of that yeah. sadness that doesn't go away you mentioned? Yeah, definitely. Just the thought of being in heaven, just from what I've taken from it, you know, there's no more sadness or pain. And just the thought of that is like, you know, I would a hundred times choose that. Right now, I would choose that to be in heaven if I could. And I remember, you know, when me and my wife were dating, I would always get on these kicks, you know, of talking about heaven. And, you know, if I thought she was like kind of straying from the path a little bit, you know, I would, we would talk, I would try to bring stuff like this up. And, you know, I would, anytime I would talk about heaven, I was just like so excited, you know, like it was almost like I would get so worked up and excited. Just the thought that, okay, well, I can't be there right now put me in a depressive state. And so, like, she was like, well, you know, I want to have kids and get married and live my life and this and that. And I'm like, I know, but I mean, can you imagine being in heaven right now? How much better that that would be than anything that we could have on earth? And, you know, she just thought I was crazy. I mean, my belief in the rapture and the end times and all that kind of stuff kind of unraveled during Bible college. Yeah. I knew I had to go to Bible college to be a pastor, to, you know, preach all this stuff, to save right. all these people. But right. as I was learning more and more about this, I remember taking a, a class, uh, they combined uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation in one of my classes. And uh, they were talking about some kind of prophetic clock that's, that's, that was ticking, and all of a sudden it stopped, and then it stopped ticking. And then, you know, th- there was this this uh, abomination of desolation with Ant- Antiochus Epiphanes, I think that's what his name was, who went to the temple and did this. And that was just a precursor. So the Bible tells this prophecy, and then this thing happened. But that wasn't the actual thing that happened. That was just a precursor to show what's going to happen in the end. And and then I, it all started unwinding. Well, well, the Bible said it something, and it happened. And then you're saying that wasn't the thing. But to me, that was the thing. And then that's kind of the, the one point where I remember let's look into this a little deeper and see what else doesn't make sense in my mind. I mean, already before that, there were, there were things that I had questions. I don't remember exactly what, but it was like, you know, you have questions about this stuff and you, and, and that, and I, you know, thought of, you know, why would God do this and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I didn't never said anything. Uh, I, 
I mean, even at Bible college, when I started asking questions, it was basically, well, you don't doubt God. This is what it says. This is, and then, you know, these people that are teaching you are, have done a lot more study than you. So you have these questions, that's fine. But basically just believe what we say and, and continue to preach the, you know, continue to read the script. Today, I don't have, have much of an eschatology in any kind of a, a belief in, 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 in times. I mean, the, the rapture is surely out. Um, all that the millennial kingdom, the Armageddon, all that kind of stuff, I don't think is, is anything. Um, the, I'd say the one and only thing that I am still kind of struggling with and, and uh, kind of chis- chiseling away, if I'm honest, is whether or not uh, the actual Christ is going to reincarnate and come back down here and do anything. You know, whether or not that, that's an actual thing or not, or if, mm-hmm. if, if that's a, a metaphor or, or like a mythological, something like that. Um, so, I mean, every, literally everything else, I mean, like I said, the rapture, Armageddon, the rebuilding of the temple, all, all that stuff that, that I was taught that was read wrong, I believe, from, the, from Revelation especially, I, I don't buy into any of that anymore at all. Okay, we're coming down to the home stretch here. And the final topics that we're going to hear about today are, number one, what has helped people get past some of these symptoms and neuroses? And number two, what advice they have for people who have had similar struggles? The only thing that has really helped me when it comes to anxious thoughts has really just been to stop thinking about it. And I and I don't mean, like, dismiss it. It's just... It just got to be to the point where it's like if it's taking up too much energy, too much of my my mental capacity, then I just needed to kind of let it go. I mean, along with therapy and medication, like, you know, a handful of other things to help in that process, like it definitely wasn't something I could just drop altogether. It's just been of whatever chapter I'm in in my life. It's just been trying to make those little tweaks in my head where I'm not obsessing over things that are causing me unnecessary worrying. I think it was kind of buying into a paradigm shift in in my own thinking where what I believed before was the woo and what I'm doing now, it's real solid biblical scholarship. I didn't have to deal with the problem. I don't know that I ever fixed the existential crisis of I don't know what if God comes back, but I didn't have to think about it anymore. I could just tell myself, no, that's not, that's not the way it is. So probably the biggest transformation, which really helped give me permission to, to grow and to leave all of it was probably my mom. My mom, I would say was like, you know, eighties Reagan Republican, like evangelical Christian, um, and is now not that, uh, Christian in the best sense of the word she is and just one of the most shining examples of Christianity that I can think of, but, um, is, you know, I would say more like, you know, if I had to put a label on it, like Anabaptists, just, you know, progressive for sure. And so just her wrestling through and, and, and having the courage to change and question things like absolutely give me permission to do that. I do struggle with the anxiety as I'm unpacking this of, you know, and, and even listening to your podcast sometimes, I'm like, is this all just total malarkey? Like, is this all wrong? Like, I, I, it's, and it's my family of origin. It's my, what I was taught growing up. Like, I question 
even my journey now. But I can tell you that I've never had this much peace about my relationship with God, my religious experience, my whatever you want to call it, my Christianity. Um, I haven't had this much peace. I definitely have bouts of anxiety, but it's much less now because it's almost freeing. What do you think helped you get past, in particular, the the anxiety around religious stuff? You know, it's funny. I was I was on the rowing machine in the gym probably six months ago or so, and I was actually listening to the Bad Christian podcast. I don't even remember what they were talking about, but I I looked up from the rowing machine and I looked at all of the people and I just saw my love, or maybe it was Jesus's love, but I saw love for those around me. And I saw that we were all on the same journey. Before that, and growing up, and even into my adult years, I saw those people almost as enemies of the state. They were the non-Christians. They were the poor souls that were going to hell, and they were going to burn for all eternity. But when I looked up, I just had this almost revelation of like, we're all on the same journey. We're all going to meet God someday. We're all going to die. We're all on the same journey. So why are we, why is it an us versus them thing? It was an amazing experience. (laughs) To everybody who can't go to sleep at night because they'll wake up fearing uh, that their mom has disappeared or that their brother is no longer in the bunk bed, they're still there. Jesus isn't the kind of person, isn't the kind of God to seal everything away from you. He isn't the kind of being that would visit these terrors on you. If you're anything like me, you grew up with an intense understanding of who the devil is and the understanding that the devil plays tricks on us. This is the devil. These fears are from the devil. Find your security and peace in Jesus. Well, I mean, I mean, for those that, that do have legitimate trauma that were uh, significantly more affected than, than myself, you know, I, I just, just sorry that that happened and it, it sucks. You don't deserve it. And I hate that it happened to you. And I'm not going to say to you, you know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's not true. So just snap out of it because I know that trauma does stick with you, even though you may realize now that, yeah, that that's probably not going to happen. But I know there, you know, there's still legitimate fear, legitimate tears, legitimate trauma that, that no one can understand, but, but you, but maybe, you know, to you, to use your, your term to find out that you have permission not to believe this stuff, uh, it might just be a foundation for you to begin to, to, to sweep the ashes and debris from the old model away and begin to reconstruct something, something beautiful out of it. And, um, something that's full of love and grace and beauty. And that's the best I got. I mean, the best thing you can do is be honest, um, whether that starts with a friend, whether that's going to see a mental health professional, uh, and obviously like pick people you can trust. You know, I would be very skeptical about going to somebody that's, you know, a a modernist evangelical and kind of confessing this just because I've had such bad experience you know, from kind of that group, but yeah, find, find something you can trust, talk about it. You're, you're totally not alone. Just that like what my current pastor has told me is like, it should not impact our faith. If it causes those feelings of anxiety, you know, that is not correct. And like, I find peace knowing that this church is, you know, talking about it wrong. They're twisting scripture and I will breathe and process it later. But again, it does not, that anxiety is just it, it, it's valid, but it's not reasonable. It's not how God wants 
you to feel. He does not want you to be anxious about the end times. Don't don't look to humanity as evidence of the nature of the divine. We 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 were created in the image of God, not the other way around. And I think that it's very often that we project our own nature onto the nature of God. And so don't allow people to teach you that 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 human nature is divine nature because it's not. That's it's something else that we'll never understand. And when we do understand, it's when we'll be there in, in the presence of, of this divine entity. I would say that you still have permission to look at other uh, theories, talk to other people, learn about other people's stories, and just know that this is your journey. Um, and I don't believe that we're going to learn the absolute truth on this side of existence um, maybe we learn it on the other side maybe we don't but I don't think anybody can be 100% sure but people are arguing like they are 100% sure and I, I think we have to take it all by faith and you have permission to, to do that and explore that Thank you guys for listening and going so deep into this topic with me. And of course, a huge thank you to all my interviewees for being so vulnerable, taking the time to talk with me, taking time before talking with me, a lot of them going back through their own stories and collecting their thoughts and memories. Next week will be part four, the final installment of this series. We're going to hear two shorter stories and one a bit longer one. That, again, like part two, are just better told standalone stories. Uh, thank you to Scott Sanjemi for editing these conversations today. You can become a patron and get access to patron-only exclusive episodes and the Facebook group at patreon.com slash dancoke or youhavepermissionpod.com and click become a patron. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week with part four.